0: So hi everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Traveling Image Makers podcast. This is Ugo Che, and I'm here today with my usual co-host Ralph Velasco. Hi Ralph, how are you doing today?
1: Hey there Ugo, I'm great. Hello everyone. Good to be here.
0: This is a kind of a special episode because we have uh, a guest with us, not only a guest that we hope will be with us more frequently in the future, we'll see if he performs well. We might want to, to keep him. <laughs> we have uh, Kev Dadfar joining us from, from the UK, uh, around about London. Uh, Kev was one of our guests in episode 177 a few months ago. Uh, Kev, do you want to introduce yourself to our audience? Um, I can tell you're a travel photographer and writer, travel writer, based in the UK, but maybe... You want to give a bit more details about yourself.
2: Yeah, sure. Hello, everyone. Um, I can't believe it's been that long since I was on the, the podcast. It seems like yesterday. But um, yes, I'm a, I'm a travel photographer and writer based in the UK. Uh, I think over the last 12 months, I'm probably more of a writer than I am a photographer. Um, but uh, I've, I've written for sort of a lot of the travel magazines in the UK. Uh, I write for a lot of blogs, various sort of camera magazines, various sort of camera blogs. And of course, I occasionally take the odd photo as well. And, you know, my clients over the years have included everyone from Lonely Planet, Rough Guys, Matt Geo, um, pretty much everyone. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's nice to uh, be actually here and doing this rather than just the voice, actually seeing people's faces.
0: Yeah. This is another aspect of the podcast that we have started introducing in the last, uh, just already did three video episodes. We recorded them using Zoom. I was not very happy with the quality of Zoom recordings. Uh, uh, yeah, kind of the videos that we produce were were okay, but not the best. So, we, this is the first episode that we are trying this platform that is called Riverside, which uh, looks to be great, much better, much more suited for podcast video and audio recording of remote podcasts. So, we hope that the production of this episode will be miles better than what we had in the past and if it works well we'll we'll stick to it it seems to be to be doing great with with our tests so this is the first real uh, live test live uh, first live episode real episode not a test actually still experimental but not a test Um, another thing i would like to to mention in terms of new media and new ways of connecting is that uh, the, the three of us I've started doing a regular room, how they call it, so let's call it a show on Clubhouse, which is this new social media application which is built around audio. And every week on Fridays, we do a, a chat, which is a, an audio conversation because Clubhouse is audio exclusively. It's called the Travel Photography Exchange. And um, I mean, if you're on Clubhouse, feel free to join us on Fridays. I think we are going, still trying to finalize the exact uh, uh, time and date. Uh, Well, date is going to be Friday, but time might change a little bit until we find our final settling uh, there. But uh, yeah, mm, if you want to join us on Clubhouse, just look for us there. You can find us with our name or you can search for Travel Photography Exchange. I believe we're also going to have a club there. A club is kind of a group of people inside Clubhouse. So we'll be doing our conversations uh, under the umbrella of that club, which will be called the Travel Photography Exchange. So you can search for us, search for the club name. You will find us there. And if you want to uh, join us there, it's it's a bit different than a podcast because in a podcast, it's just us who are doing the talking. On Clubhouse, uh, the audience actually has the uh, opportunity of uh, raising their hand and keep being invited on the stage to ask questions or share their experiences. So we always want to hear some new voices about uh, photography, travel photography and travel in general. Anyway, the topic of today's conversation is uh, storytelling. Storytelling, specifically in travel photography. This is, again, a topic that we discussed on Clubhouse. And since the conversations on Clubhouse are gone once they're finished, there is no recording, we wanted to make it a little bit more permanent and have a conversation about storytelling here on the podcast that will last, hopefully, for a long time. So storytelling. um, First thing I want to ask you is how would you define storytelling? How do you tell a story with a picture or a set of pictures?
2: Yeah, I just, uh, I, I think, you know,
1: like a lot of things, it's sort of in the eye of the beholder and p- different photographers, uh, are tell stories different ways and, uh, different opinions about what is a storytelling image. Um, I certainly think there are different levels of stories to be told with different types of images, but I think every picture tells some sort of a story could be a bad story, a poor story, or it could be, you know, a truly life-changing type of story. So it's just a a matter of, uh, you know, what you're trying to get across and, um, I know we're going to talk about whether you can tell a story with a single image, and I absolutely think that you can. But uh, you know, the I know, Cav. I'm sure we'll talk about this more. But uh, I always imagine and talk to my clients about imagine that you're, uh you've got an assignment to shoot for a magazine, and you want to you've got like six or eight images that you want to present to that magazine, and for the most part, they're probably going to be, you're going to have that big landscape shot or that overall, you know, that overall establishing shop, which is probably a double page spread. You know, then you've got details and people and night scenes, interiors, and all these different things that tell that story that are part of that story. But sometimes you only have one photograph that, that you know, it's space for one photograph. So, Gav, uh, what do you, how do you feel about that uh, as a travel writer and photographer?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, Ralph, you've sort of hit the nail on the head in that people often look at uh, a storytelling image as like something that you need to be in like a war zone and take a photo of, you know, something happening. But that's not necessarily the only way to tell a a story through a photo. Uh, A story could be a close up of something, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a something that's happening that's, you know, poignant or, or interesting. It could be an interesting detail. It could be an interesting plate of food. It could be, um, you know, a wonderful landscape scene with a beautiful light. All of those things are stories. Uh, they're just different kinds of stories. So it really depends on what the story is that you want to tell. If you're working on an assignment, if you're sort of doing a, a job for a client, it depends on what the brief is. Uh, and even if you're not, it, it, it comes down to what your personal view of that particular scene is and what it, what it is that you're trying to communicate. And for me, the storytelling image, the definition of a storytelling image is communicating what it is that you are seeing in a scene to the viewer. That's the storytelling image. You know, whether that's a a kind of a, a journalistic shot or a beautiful landscape shot, it, it sort of doesn't really matter. It's your interpretation of a scene.
0: Um, I don't necessarily disagree, but... Maybe we need to narrow the definition a little bit because otherwise what what is not a storytelling image then if just showing what you what you what's your impression there of a of a scene and capturing it with your camera, if that's enough to tell a story, then every picture tells a story. I think there was maybe a a movie that, or a song be- about that. <laughs>
1: I think you're exactly right. Every picture tells a story and it's just a matter of, you know, what kind of story, how detailed, how important, but every picture tells some sort of story. I mean, can you imagine any picture that doesn't tell some sort of story unless it's just a picture of a black wall or something?
0: All right, let's put it like that. Is there a way to be more effective at telling a story there are any specific absolutely. techniques uh, tips and tricks that you can use be it composition be it choice of subject choice of light choice of the moment camera settings that can make one photo more successful than another in terms of storytelling effectiveness
1: absolutely i mean for sure all those things uh, add to or maybe sometimes take away from a story uh, sometimes a story is a very busy street scene with a lot of things going on and the viewers, you know, darting around from the different places, you know, different subjects and points in the image. Uh, another story might be the simplicity of just a a bare tree in winter in a field of snow. And it's very, very simple. And that might be the kind of story that you're trying to get ac- across. So... Just depends. Um,
2: I, I actually dif- uh, disagree slightly to that. In that, I do think it is possible to, to capture, a, a, take a photo that doesn't necessarily tell a story. That's kind of almost like documenting a scene. You know, you're not telling a story. All you're doing is documenting where you are essentially. And that's something that often you have to do for magazines, or if you're shooting kind of various images. Not every single one can be. Well, this is a story I'm trying to tell. Sometimes you're actually. To bring that story to life in, in, a, in an article, you kind of need to show certain places uh, in terms of actually just documenting where you are. So I'm going to show an image here, which in my opinion, isn't um, isn't a sort of a storytelling image. Um, so this particular image, for example, for me, this is an assignment that was on in in Texas. And this is the Texas State Capitol. And, you know, I took various shots of this this building, which is a beautiful building, and I and I got a, a shot of this with some people walking in the foreground that ended up being a front cover of Lonely Planet, but this for me isn't a storytelling image, it's just documenting the scene, you know, it's just a picture of the state capital, it was used in the article to, you know, highlight the fact that this is what the state capital looks like, so for me, this is an example of something that isn't a storytelling, so I, I do think that you can take shots which aren't necessarily storytelling images
1: okay we'll have to just disagree i just think that there's different levels of stories you know and that's a horrible story <laughs> no i'm kidding. <laughs> I kidding i agree with you i agree with you so i mean you know it's it's but you said it made the cover of lonely planet or was it lonely planet no, or yeah not that the... particular
2: shot it was a, it was a, another shot okay. which was with people walking uh in sort of in the foreground of the picture so that kind of told the story but this particular shot was used in the article um but it's you know it's a it's a type of shot that isn't going to be a front cover but it's a type of shot that in an article they'll i think they kind of use that possibly quarter page or something in a series of about four other images and it looks really nice when it's along with sort of three or four other images but you know
1: what made you take the shot then if the if you didn't feel that there was any story there at all well when you're
2: shooting just a record uh, shot? no because i mean when you're shooting anything like this uh when when you're sort of assignment you need to take a whole array of shots you know you need to take shots which are you know closer up of, of the actual capital for example um so you know if, if the shot that made the front cover of lonely planet that can't be reduce down to a really small size, because you kind of miss the people that are walking, uh, you know, walking in the foreground, you kind of need that to be a bigger size to be able to see that. Whereas in a magazine, sometimes images do need to work smaller, because, you know, the, uh, the art director might only have a small, small space that it needs to fill. So you kind of need images, which are sort of called fillers, essentially, where they can kind of reduce them in, down in size, you know, and they're not going to lose anything, they're still going to show an element of the story, but they can kind of be reduced in size. And this is that kind of shot, you know, so I took probably about 50 different shots of this this building with various angles, different crops, uh, close-ups, you know, wide-angle shots, people in the shots, without people in the shots. And when I send the, the, the kind of photographs to the art director or the editor, I would probably send about 50 to 60 images of which they might choose, you know, 10 probably. But it gives them that choice because they might look at it and go, well, actually, you know, this is a cracking shot that we want to use, but we can't use it because there's no space for it. So actually, the shot we want to use is this one because it fills that particular space. So that's why it's sort of, you know, these types of shots, they're not going to win any awards. But when it comes to sort of actually making money for t- from photography or, you know, actually getting it in the magazine, these types of shots are really, really important.
0: From the perspective of one who actually does shoot for for magazines and publications, as I, I personally don't, so I cannot contribute much here. Uh, what in your in your opinion are editors and publishers looking for uh, in terms of a one photo or a set of photos? So let's say you you are in Austin, Texas, and you need to take photos of the capital or of the city. What what they are? What are they looking for? Um, what do you think will satisfy their their needs most? And if, if it ties to, if it's storytelling, then the best, or maybe they just want something more documentary.
2: I think it's it comes down to two things. Uh, it comes down to the brief, you know, what the story is about, and it comes down to the client. You know, there are some clients that you work with that really want a documentary style of photography. You know, and they would never use a photo like that in, in the magazine. And then there's sort of a, you know, another type of magazine that, you know, would never want anything really gritty or, you know, sort of showing uh, disturbing scenes and things like that, you know, really getting to the heart of the story. And they do want the sort of glossy type shots that are on postcards and, you know, in on and sort of front covers of magazines. So it kind of depends on the client. But more and more, the one thing that has been consistent with all clients that I've worked with and... Um, you know whether it 's magazines or uh, you know different kinds of magazines the one consistent thing that they 've all come back and said mm-hmm. is that they don 't want you know tourist type shots, which is ironic because that is that is exactly a tourist type shot but th- the point is that with that sort of shot um, you know they will use it in a small space, but that will never be a hero shot it will never be kind of the front cover it will never be a sort of the intro and a double page spread or something like that so Whilst they do want the, the shots, which are kind of the, the unique angles and the really beautiful light and the beautiful views, it's still really important to also give them these kind of filler options that they can use because they always use them. I mean, my uh, I shoot a lot of stock as well, stock photography, travel photography, and you know I can't tell you how um, well these types of shots actually sell because they can be used anywhere. They can be used at whatever size and they can be used by any clients. And it's not just, you know, not every shot you take is going to make a front cover. You know, you need to take shots that are going to be used in news articles that are going to be on websites. So they're going to be on, you know, a, a small advertisement or something like that. So in all that sort of respect, these types of shots are important. But, but the, the thing that clients are constantly asking for is they want the kind of untouristy looking shots.
0: So maybe an untold story.
2: Yeah, an untold. One that yeah. has not
0: been told a million times. Yeah,
2: or from a different angle. I guess it's a it's a different way. I mean, mm. not sure there's too many untold stories anymore in the world, but maybe from a different angle.
0: And in terms of building a story uh, using a, a sequence of photos, yeah. a collection of photos, is there some guiding principle that you that you follow that helps you in crafting a story that might illustrate an old article instead of just being a covers cover shot
2: yeah absolutely so uh it's something that i you know whenever i run workshops or photo tours something that kind of uh, we set as a as a task and it's a really really good way of you know teaching people and getting getting to practice that sort of storytelling uh you know type of photography is called the three picture story and i'm sure you guys have heard of it as well where you basically try and tell the story of a scene a location whatever you are in a market you know an event just three photos and usually that will entail a wide-angle shot so you've got your kind of if you like double page spread your establishing shot like Ralph said you then have a kind of a medium focal length shot so this might be let's say for example you're photographing an event you know the wide-angle shot might be you know a beautiful landscape shot of the overall venue or something your medium focal length might be a portrait of someone and then you have your close-up. So then you might have details. So that might just be, you know, a, a really interesting engraving on a wall or, you know, someone's got a beautiful costume on and they've got like a beautiful uh, piece of jewelry on or something. And that is the kind of the close-up. And, you know, taking then that a little bit further, essentially when you're photographing, you know, a story, you're just multiplying. So all you're doing is you're, you're covering that but with more photos. So you want the wide-angle shots, you want the kind of medium-type shots, which are looking at uh, the crux of the story, if you like, the sort of the main point of the story. And then you've got the close up, the details, the things that, you know, people sometimes miss because they don't look that close. And that's kind of how I really approach all my sort of stories, telling images or assignments. I kind of look at it and go, you want to have your beautiful wide angle shots that are going to be like the wow factor shots. You want to have the sort of the, the medium stuff, which is the main point of the story, you know, really getting into the, what the actual story is about and then the details, the close-ups, and the things that potentially people miss. And that's essentially what I do. I just break it down into that and, you know, whatever the assignment is, whatever the brief is, I look at it and go, I need to cover in a kind of a broad sense, those particular types of shots.
1: You know, I always talk about getting those wide, medium and detailed shots to tell the story and then expand on each of those three major categories and get the landscape versions portrait versions with people, without clouds, no clouds, et cetera. And, you know, then next thing you know, you've got, you know, 15 or 20 images that are part of that overall story. And then uh, I'm, I'm not a, you know, magazine photographer either, but uh, you know, I'm, if I'm doing a blog post or I want to put up a story on, you know, Facebook or something, those are the kinds of shots that I, I want to use um, you know unless it's just I, I always tell the story I went to see one of the top photographers in the world speak many years ago and um he's just you know a fantastic people photographer but his presentation was like over an hour of nothing but portraits portrait 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 I mean I'm not not even environmental portraits and they were the the best portraits you'll ever see in the world but I got bored after 10 or 15 of them. You know, I want to see the bigger landscapes and the details and the food and all these other things that make up the, the place that we are traveling to. So that's what I'm trying to get across to my uh, the viewers of my photography is I want them to feel like they were there by showing them a variety of images to, uh, that, that make up that place.
0: What about editing in terms of selecting picking photos from from a sh- from a shot uh, you know we, we shoot in digital and we can we probably shot hundreds if not thousands of images in a single day or even in a single location and then we have this uh, uh, terrible moment when we get to our computers and we have a thousand photographs to, to choose from the, what techniques do you use to find a, the shot that tells the story best of that day or that event or that place? Um,
1: I edit very quickly. I mean, i when I go through my photos, uh, you know, it's either a zero or a five star and I do it very, very quickly. And I try to narrow it down. You know, if there's a thousand pictures, I try to get it down to maybe 50 and that's the toughest thing to do. And, um, you know, when I have clients on trips and I don't know, we do an image review or something and I tell them, OK, you I want 10 of your you know, top images from the trip so far. And of course, everyone moans because it's like they've taken 3000 and they got to narrow it down to 10. And Well, that's the exercise. You have to edit really hard and cut and just, you know, just narrow it down. And it's very difficult. And, I, you know, I, I agree.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think um, this is a really interesting question because I think everyone, every photographer probably works in a slightly different way. I I work slightly different to Ralph with my photos. And, you know, on an average, say, if I'm away for two weeks on a shoot, I'll come back with at least 2,500 photos. And obviously, a lot of those are repeats. You know, you're shooting in in sort of burst mode and things like that. So the way I I work is that I go through sort of, if you like, three or four stages of editing where I, I start on my first edit, I just literally cull anything which is an obvious error you know if I've sort of anything which might just be blurred or anything which is clearly you know obviously I see the first bits that are wrong I remove those and then I start going through a bit of a sort of a a quick cull if you like of basically just like Ralph said but I go through the star so I do it once and I rank everything that I think is interesting one star it's a little bit looser I then go through again rank Anything which is a bit better, two stars, and I sort of go through that until I get to the five stars. And usually, from a two and a half thousand photos, you know, that I get from a couple of weeks, that would usually cut it down to about four hundred to five hundred. And and that's when I kind of then get a little bit more detailed into them, and I start looking into them a bit more objectively, and I try and cut that down to probably about three hundred roughly. You know, there's no hard and fast rule, and then I kind of work on those and I edit those as well, but. You know, it's it's sort of one of those things where often, I mean, that might sound like a long-winded process, but I think as a photographer, you always know the shot already. You know, whenever you go on a day, you know, when you shoot it, you know at the time the shots that are going to be great. And you kind of know that. So when you're going through and marking them, you know, one or two stars, you're you pretty much already have an idea what your five star shots are going to be. So for me, even though that's possibly a long-winded process, it doesn't actually take me that long to cull it down to about you know three, four hundred shots. Uh, And then I work on those, obviously, and edit those and, and, you know, crop those and straighten those and remove any dust or anything like that. Um, And then, obviously, if you're sending it to a a client, you know, you can't send four or 500 images. That's just way too much. So, again, when I send it to, you know, say a magazine, I'll cut that that down to probably about 50 shots. Um, So that is the hard part, obviously, then cutting that down. But you have to just be really, really objective about things. And you've just got to almost take your... You know, detach yourself away from the shots and just think like an editor and go, well, actually, you know, am I really just including this shot because I had to stand there for five hours in the you know freezing cold and wait for the light to change? Or is this actually a really good shot? And often you will find that, you know, as photographers, you get close to an image just because of the effort it took to actually capture the image. Um, so, yeah, so and, and, and yeah, I, I tend to and I tend to kind of leave it possibly for a couple of days if I have time not even look at the image and then go back and, and just yeah, probably over a course of probably two or three edits at the end, I'll, I'll cull it down to about 50 to 60 shots for the to apply it.
0: Now, this is probably a very difficult question, but when it comes to deciding whether a photo, a photo is a keeper or not, or whether it deserves five stars or not, especially in terms of storytelling potential, what is most important? Uh, do you look first at uh, the light, color, sharpness, subject, gesture, composition? What are your criteria for deciding? If you have any criteria. Personally, I'm, I'm not very keen on uh, blurry or photos or with bad light. I'm a bit of uh, uh, I look very much at the aesthetics of the photo, not just their significance or their meaning, Sometimes I will mark as a keeper a photo that is not maybe not perfectly sharp, just because the the subject or the the action that that's happening is great. But um, I look very closely at things like sharpness, exposure, and so on. What about you guys? I have,
2: yeah, I mean for me, it, st- it's um, again okay. it kind of depends on the actual assignment if you like, because if you're shooting for an assignment. Uh, the photos have to be sharp, otherwise the magazine just won't use them. You know, if there's blurred or if if it's you know too much noise when they're printed, they're just going to look awful. So the magazine will just reject those. So in that regard, if I'm shooting for a you know assignment, that's kind of almost like the baseline. Anything that isn't perfectly sharp or you know, acceptable sharp then has to go, no matter how good the image is. Um, but then it, you know, very much like you, Hugo, I, I kind of try and look. Uh, you know, at shots, which have got something interesting about them, whether it's an interesting composition, you know, an interesting subject, sometimes it's an interesting light, and sometimes it's just you know, something that you have to include. You know, for example, again, I'll share a, an image here of uh, something from that same shot uh, shoot that I did in um, uh, Texas, which was uh, this particular magazine. They wanted a shot of a very specific drink, a very specific shot, that a particular restaurant in Austin, were famous for, and so they said, you know, we want this shot. And so again, it's not a type of shot that I would, you know, include in my portfolio because, you know, it's not going to win any awards. But it's a specific request that they had. So you sometimes have to include shots like that because this is what they wanted. You know, they wanted this specific drink, and this, you have to provide it because you can't, you, know, you can't just say, oh well, it, you know, it's not, it's not something that I enjoy taking photos of, so but you have to include it. So, so there is that element of sometimes you you have to just include what is required by a client. Um, and so, yeah, so it kind of depends on, on the assignment. But for me, if I was just shooting for myself, um, you know, I would look at light being the first, most important thing for me when it comes to outdoor photography. So I'd look at interesting light, and then a combination of, you know, an interesting subject, an interesting composition, um, and sort of make a decision that way.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when I'm going through my images and doing that call, I think it's all about impact. So if the, the image has some sort of impact for me, that's kind of the number one thing I look for. Otherwise it's sort of overall feel for it. It's all those things, sharpness, light, you know, subject, etc. And, uh, it's just kind of one of those things that I, I, I know when I see it, but again, I'm not shooting for a, a magazine where they've got a particular story that they're looking for me to tell. Um, so, um, but you know, it's often, uh, I like simplicity. I love just that one person, uh, kind of doing something and, and I'll show you just a quick, uh, couple shots here. Yeah, so this is Zait Ben in in Morocco, and it's just the story of this little boy jumping, and I saw him walking across helping people uh, that could walk on these these uh, sort of cement bags or sandbags so that and he would walk in the water holding their hands because so, that's the only way to get across. But I saw this, that's we were talking about pre-visualization. And I think photography anticipation is really uh, important and, you know anticipating a photo opportunity. And so you know, he did it a couple of times. And I said, you know what? I want to capture him jumping as he runs back to get another set of people. Uh, you know, this one uh, in Chef Shao I'm just, just going
0: to, to describe because I know some people will be just listening to the podcast. We will, uh, okay. of course, include those photos. Together with yeah, the show course, notes with the post, but just to, to give a, a short description of that photo was a, um, r- a river in front of this uh, abandoned city in Morocco, which is called Lait Benadou, and there are uh, with that sandbags right uh, across the river, or yeah, and, and all, all,
1: yeah. So the, instead of people having to walk in the water, which is you know six or eight inches deep, and you're definitely going to get your feet wet, they've set up these sandbags. But they're difficult to walk across, especially if maybe you're a little bit older or have trouble walking. So these young boys had this great little business where they would hold people's hands. They would walk in the water while the person was dry on the sandbags, holding their hand nice and steady. And then they would run back and get the next person. And you would tip them maybe 50 cents equivalent. And they had a nice little business going. And I just, I love those kind of entrepreneurial things. So um, this shot here is in Chefshaw in Morocco, and it's of uh, a woman in orange walking with a baby reflected in a mirror. And I, you know, I, I love to look for reflections. And I saw this beautiful mirror. And as I'm looking at it, uh, people are walking behind me and reflected in the mirror. So, you know, I'm going to wait here for someone interesting to walk by and grab that shot. So that's, that's what I did with this one. But this one is what I was trying to get to and I, I hope you can see it. Um, I guess all of these are Morocco. So this is also Chef Shawan. and uh, here's just finding uh, an interesting background or scene and waiting for something interesting to walk into it. I call that waiting like a spider for a fly and letting that fly come into your web and so there's this uh, minaret from this mosque. Uh, there's the blue walls of the blue city of Chefchaouen, of And I said, I'm going to just wait here until something or someone interesting walks into this scene. And sure enough, this older woman with a cane and a, a white shawl walked into the scene and uh, gave me that human touch that I talk about. It's a very simple scene. It didn't take much to set up and shoot at all. But. It's having that patience, and if you look in that little window on the left there, there's a cat sitting in there. Just adds a little extra something to it.
0: I like those photos because, even though as you said, they are simple, uh, but they are what I they are my kind of storytelling photos. I know we have sort of a disagreement here. I tend to be a bit more. Um, Strict in what I consider storytelling, and these two photos that you showed, especially those two from, well, those three photos from Morocco that you showed, to me are perfect examples of a, a storytelling. And there is there is typically a person. I mean, it doesn't need to be a person, but it it helps telling a story because we like stories about people, right? Yeah. We don't like stories about geological phenomena, right? <laughs> plate tectonics doesn't maybe not a great story we like to hear stories about people so the human element uh, is important it's important the human element in in the context of their environment and to me it's also important to tell a story Uh, it's a gesture like the the lady that you were showing that was carrying a child and the child is looking at you reflected in the mirror because he realized probably that you were taking their photo while his mother was turned the other way and she didn't. So, these are all elements to me that uh, tell a great story. Whereas I'm, I'm sure Kev will disagree. You probably didn't show that photo of the two glasses with that drink as an example of a storytelling photo. That's very much documenting, as you said, something that the editors wanted for the magazine. We need exactly. a photo of that drink. Uh, yeah. Here we have but the photo. But it's part
1: of a story, and that's and I'll argue yeah. that till the death is that it's part of the story right? I mean, even it, though you don't like it.
0: No, <laughs> I like the photo. I yeah. like the photo. Yeah, no, I mean,
1: I'm talking about Cav, you know, that's not yeah, that I mean, his it's, type it's, of photo, that's kind of, what I mean.
2: Um, I guess that particular shot of the two, the shots, by the way, they they those shots are lethal shots. I mean, they were really spicy as well. I mean, amazing, but spicy, Jesus.
0: Uh, but,
2: um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing with that particular shot is that, as I said, as, as Ralph said, it, it was part of a bigger set of images. So, you know that those that shot in itself isn't really doesn't really tell much of a story other than here's a drink uh but when it's seen in the context of you know six seven other shots and obviously the the, the written story as well it kind of makes sense because this was a this story was all about Austin and you know the cool places that are springing up all over Austin and things like that so it kind of in that context it made sense but obviously if you were you know doing a single shot story for example and you presented that; it doesn't really make sense. Now, if there was something else in the shot, let's say I don't know, there was a, a an interesting, you know, set of cards like horoscope cards or something, you know, something so a person's hand or something that kind of added an element of a story to that. Then, yeah, that single shot could have worked as a story in itself. But you know, sometimes a story is um, something we spoke about at the start. But sometimes a story can be told in one shot. And sometimes it can be told in multiple shots. So I'll I'll show another shot here. This is um uh London and this is somewhere that is very close to where I grew up and it's Portobello Market. And if anyone's been to um London, they would see they they've been to Portobello Market and it's um you know, really famous antique market. I think it's the largest antique market in the world. Um and this was a shot that I was, you know, doing a story about Portobello Market and, and the antique market, and this is a shot that has has ended up being one of my best-selling ever shops. And this is a chap that is obviously a market vendor. And, you know, yes, there's the, the kind of the context of the market is there because he's a market vendor and he's got all this antique, but, and, you know, there's good light. But this is a really typical, if you wanted to kind of say, t- show me a, a typical Londoner, you know, market vendor, this is kind of it. You know, the guy's got a cool hat on. He's doing the crossword. You know, he's oblivious to what's going on. I mean, there's literally a 1,000 people walking past him. And he is completely oblivious to it. And he's just, you know, doing his crossword. And this is a kind of shot that, yes, it tells a story in just one shot. And this is the sort of thing that we were discussing at the start, where, you know, you've got a single shot that tells a story, or you have to have a multiple set of shots that tell a story.
0: How important is pre-visualization? I think Ralph uh, uh, alluded to it earlier, or mentioned that that explicitly, or maybe it was was you, Kev, I don't remember, but one of you mentioned pre-visualizing a shot, right? And how is it important in terms of uh, storytelling? Uh, Does it help tell a story if you have a story in mind before you actually take the shot? And when you are in front of a scene, do you analyze it for its potential, look at it from different angles or wait for a specific moment? before clicking the
1: shutter? Well, I, you know we talked about research on our mo- one of our recent uh, Clubhouse events. And I think researching allows you to get an idea what potential shots might be in the place that you're going to. And then you can look for those kinds of things. Uh, years ago, my first ever trip with a group was to the uh, Central European Christmas markets and we were going to Budapest. And someone told me, you gotta look for these trams that they cover in Christmas lights. And I had never heard about it, but I sort of had that in mind. And sure enough, um, I saw them going by and I got some really cool shots of, of those uh, trams. I got a couple where they were stopped and the lights were just kind of static. But then I got some really cool motion shots where those lights look like warp speed or something. Uh, But having that in mind allowed me to prepare for it and to, you know, I I say that the the more you know what you're looking for, the more you're likely to recognize it when you see it. But there's also, you gotta be spontaneous too because you you can't pre-visualize everything. You know, you can, uh, but finding those great spots that you can then, 'cause I'm always talking about getting you know finding cool backgrounds and then just being patient until something interesting adds that human touch or something else to that scene. Yeah, I
2: think I am. Um, what Ralph said there is, is sort of spot on in that sometimes you can pre-visualise a shot. So sometimes you you know what you're looking for and you can kind of go to a place and you know you scout it out and you know that this is a oh yes this is a great place and I just wait and you know I want something to happen in the shot. And sometimes you you just don't, you know, you don't know and something happens and you are just spontaneous and you take the shot. So, for example, the shot I showed of the market vendor in London, you know, um, whilst I've been walked down that road many, many times, I didn't have that particular picture in my mind. I didn't go to the market to think I'm looking for a guy with a hat doing a crossword sitting in front of the, you know, table full of antiques. I was just walking down the market looking for interesting things to shoot. Uh, whereas this particular shot that I'm going to show, this is an example of actually pre-visualizing pre-visualizing the shot in that uh, this is Helsinki in Finland, and i uh, I was in this particular park in Helsinki, and I, I walked around the park and you know I was trying to find some sort of interesting story in in the park. And there wasn't really anything that was capturing my eyes. but you know I came to this particular scene and it was late in the day, and it was some lovely, you know long shadows on the ground. And, you know, I just stood there for a second and I just thought to myself, you know, this this particular scene would be really interesting if there was something happening in it, you know, if there was a runner, if there was someone, you know, jogging or someone walking or if there was someone with a with a dog, you know, and or, or cyclists. And, you know, so I stood there and basically waited for the perfect set of cyclists to go past. And, you know, I've had other shots where it was one cyclist, you know, I had... Sometimes there was two cyclists going in the opposite direction. So they sort of crossed over and there was, you know, times when there was people walking in the scene. So it just made it too busy. And then this sort of the two cyclists came along and and I really like this because, you know, there's no overlap over the the kind of wheels they're nicely separated um, and, you know, the shadows are really nice and you've even got one of them that's kind of turning and, and looking at the other one talking and you've got that sort of bit of interaction as well. And this was a classic example of pre-visualizing it in that, you know, I knew I wanted a specific type of shot here. So I waited, I took shots until I managed to get that shot. Um, but obviously with like the market vendor, you know, it's not something that I walk down the market looking for. It just happens. So I think it's a combination of both. Sometimes you have to be spontaneous and just capture, you know, and that comes to experience and having the eye for the type of photo. And sometimes you, you get somewhere or you have an idea of something and you go to that place and just wait for it to happen.
0: Okay, I think we've discussed this topic quite in depth. Uh, I don't know if there's anything anything else that you would like to to add. Maybe some some tips for our listeners, if how to better prepare yourself for uh, taking uh, storytelling photos.
1: I think uh, number one tip is you just have to, you have to be ready. You know, your camera has got to be out and ready lens cap off settings right for those conditions and then you're ready to kind of point and shoot because and if you're in a fast moving scene those subjects are not going to wait around for you to set up so you have to be ready yeah and,
2: and, and you almost literally took the words shoot. out of my mouth there ralph but um the other the, the other thing i would add to that as well is it's sort of you know, focus, not necessarily focus in terms of what you're focusing on, but actually be focused on what the main point of the story is. You know, a lot of times I see shots, especially in workshops and stuff that we like do, if people have tried to just, you know, capture too much, you cram too much into a composition. You know, you're in a market and there's lots of things happening. You think, wow, you know, there's all this stuff going around. And you try and catch something, capture something which shows everything. And you end up not showing anything because there's just too much happening. So, you know, really focus on the main story that you're trying to tell, you know, if it's about a specific person, if it's about a specific, you know, uh, event happening, if it's about an action that's going on, focus on that and, and you know, crop out the, the other stuff that is distracting. And often what you leave out is just as important as what you actually add in. So, uh, so yeah, so really focus on your on your main story.
0: I think this is very important, right? Sometimes uh, we we run the risk of we want to tell a story and we end up telling a number of other things that are not related to that story. A photo should be, hmm. hopefully, most of the times it should be about one story, not a number of. If, if there might be more than one story, there might be two stories that, if they are somewhat related to each other, there might yeah. be there some contrast, right? People doing contrasting things, they tell one story even though they are doing something completely different and and that the, the story is born out of the contrast, you know, the juxtaposition of those things. But in general, you want something that is, as you said, focused, definitely. Completely agree with that.
1: You know, as much as I love simplicity, uh, I often like rather busy shots, too, where there is a lot to look at and your eye jumps around and... And you can look at something for a period of time or come back to it later, whether it's your shot or someone else's, and you find different things like, wow, I didn't notice that. And it, I think there's something to be said for those kinds of shots. Now, I'm not talking about just so busy that it's mind boggling, but you know, with several things going on and several mini stories happening within the same shot, and, uh, and I often talk about getting... That big shot, and then looking for smaller stories within that same scene to help tell that you know help you know tell that story even further or deeper.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, if I may add something, well, my my tip would be to learn to uh, anticipate what might possibly happen. Learn to how your subjects behave. Uh, this is especially important when you when we travel, we go to places and we don't know how the people there, their culture, the typical behavior, uh, their body language, and so on. Uh, you need to learn how they they behave and they they act in the in the real life. This is a, I mean this is a suggestion that was given to me especially by wildlife photographers in order to create a successful wildlife photograph, especially one that tells a story about an animal. You need to, to know how those animals behave. And we humans are animals as well. So it's important to learn to uh, anticipate the behavior of people and then use it to build a story in just of something random.
1: Well, I was lucky with that little boy jumping on those sandbags that he did that several times. So I had several chances to get that. But you have to have the presence of mind to say, okay, that's a cool photo op, and I'm going to try to get that the next time he does it and be ready because, you know, you never know if that was going to be the last time or get those camera settings right, practice, get your exposure right, every all your settings, and you're much more likely to capture that than not.
0: Yeah, and never be satisfied with just the first shot. Even though sometimes yeah. it might yeah. end up being your best shot, but... Yeah, often know. it is. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> often <somewhere>. it is. <laughs> okay, I think we are at the end of our allotted time here. Uh, I think it's been really great. Uh, I love doing this with you guys, and I hope we we get back to to doing the podcast regularly. and Now, especially with Kev. Uh, so before we we wrap it up, uh, maybe Kev, mm. you want to mention? Well our magazine, because we are contributors to that magazine, but you are <laughs> kind of the driving force Sure, yeah, thank you, Hugo. Yeah, so, um, you want to, so to this is a magazine Germany?
2: that, um, you know, we, we've put, you know, I came up with the idea, but we've, uh, you know, Ugo and Ralph are involved as well, as are around about 20 uh, photographers and writers. And the idea is that, you know, it's purely created by freelancers and we're going to put this magazine together uh, as really something to to help everyone out during a time that has been really, really difficult for photographers and writers. You know, the last 12 months have been incredibly tough. You know, all of us have had, you know, workshops cancelled. We've had work cancelled. Writers have been the same. Uh, you know, so there's people I know who are photographers, writers who've actually had to give given up their jobs and have gone to get other work during this time. So it's an incredibly tough time. And this magazine is a collaboration of all these guys to put together a magazine, which is going to, there's going to be no advertising and it, it's purely content. And there's going to be, you know, writing from some of the best writers around. I mean, we're talking award-winning writers, the like, likes of Nat Geo, uh, amazing photographers like Hugo, like Ralph and, and others as well. Um, and, and this magazine at the moment is being crowdfunded. We are, as of speaking, roughly about 66% there. So we still need a bit more help. Uh, if anyone wants to just go on and you know whether it's to buy a copy or whether just to share it with anyone it really would mean the world to us and obviously everyone else involved as well uh, and and you know we want to try and get this across the line
0: okay well yeah we put a, a link in the description down here if you're watching this on youtube it will be down below if you're uh, listening to this on TTAM.photo, which is our podcast. We'll put a link to it in the show notes if you want to have a look and contribute. I'm sure it's going to be great. Uh, <laughs> we still have one minute of recording to go before they cut our stream here because <laughs> we have limited time. Maybe, Ralph, you want to uh, just point people to where they can find you online?
1: Yeah, people can find me at photoenrichment.com and Com. And I've got a new YouTube channel. If you search for the Continental Drifter on YouTube or go to continentaldrifter.co is my website. And you can see all the new content that I've got there. How about right. you, Ugo?
0: As for me, you can find me at ugochayphotography.com. That's my main website. And from there, you can also find everything about my tours and all my other activities. <laughs> and with this, that's it for this week. Hope to see you all next week. And now let's get out and shoot.